Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Tuesday the 2nd of May. Today I'm joined by Christabel Wickert, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Christabel. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good, thank you. So, um, what story would you like to talk about from today's Watson's Daily? So, the story that uh, I thought was interesting was talking about how pandemic graduates are struggling with teamwork and communication skills, according to Deloitte and PwC. Yep. So, um, so yeah, tell, tell us more. So, I think there's been a lot of speculation since the start of the pandemic really about the ongoing effects that it was going to have um Mm -hmm. and now we're starting to see some of the social and psychological impacts of Mm. the pandemic kind of coming out now um and i think that this difficulty with communication is probably something that we can all relate to but it's going to have had a disproportionate effect on students and young people whose education was disrupted Mm. Um, especially graduates because university for a lot of people is the first time that people are away from home and they're um, able to kind of meet new people um, without the oversight of their parents and they're getting to know themselves um, as adults and socializing with people that haven't known them since they were children Mm. so um, with their classes being online there's been quite limited socializing over the last couple of years for Mm. um, students who were at university at that time so um, they're going to have really struggled with um, things like group work trying to do that with people that you've never met is much more difficult um, than than working with people that you actually see in person Mm. Um, and PwC and Deloitte uh, mentioned in this article have been have noticed that this is a problem Um, and have tried to find a solution to this by offering extra coaching to make up for the missing skills that Mm. um, students who were at university during the pandemic um, missed out on. Um, And this this might not be necessary in the long run because hopefully in the future the same issue won't happen again, but um, it's it's something that is probably going to have more of an impact on companies like Deloitte and PwC, which take in big um, graduate incomes mm. like each year. Yeah. Um, and obviously working in a team is quite a big part of that, that sort of work. Um, mm. Mm. And people who are struggling with that are going to find it much harder to progress and do well. Yeah. So this might be an opportunity for, um, things like professional development companies and um, sort of coaching companies to, yeah. to maybe out to, to these com- to places like Deloitte um, and other big employers yeah. to see if they can run some like coaching classes or something for, yeah. for the new recruits who are struggling yeah. with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think this is the thing, isn't it, really, that uh, it was inevitable that the lockdown, you know, the prolonged lockdown is going to have um, uh, significant effects on on people and the, and the way and their experience generally. Because um, uh, I think, you know, I really believe, actually, that, that presentation skills really need to be 
taught earlier, to be honest. Um, you know, because I think it's one of those very, one of these huge sort of life skills that just keeps on popping up. I mean, maybe it's because if you are reasonable at it, then you you look at more chances to do it. And because you look at more chances to do it, you get, get more opportunities to do it. And then you get better and better because that's the thing, you know, that's how you get better at pre, you know, presentations is by keeping, you know, is, is by just doing them. Um, but I think that, you know, whilst that is clearly a very interesting topic of conversation, I mean, we're here to talk about commercial awareness. So um, it's all about, okay, well, who's, who's going to, who's going to benefit from this? Uh, and as you said, it's going to be coaching companies, but I certainly feel for, you know, I was trying to look for like a big coaching company that um, could do something here, um, but nothing really springs to mind. I mean, you know, maybe there, there might be some sort of subsidiary of a, of a sort of global beer moth, beer moth sort of thing. Um, but um, I would have, I would suggest that, um, that, companies that teach presentation skills and things like that um will be quite small um so whoever manages to market the best and do the best job will clear up i would have thought because you know this this means yeah all the other all the other accountancies and other uh, uh you know lots of other like you said big companies that have big graduate intakes they are going to be looking at this and then thinking right we need to do something about it if they haven't done already um yeah i think this could be a sort of gap in the market for um these kind of coaching companies to really mm. expand because from my experience it's mostly individuals who who do small coaching on mm. a one-to-one -one basis but mm. um perhaps this might be an opportunity to branch out and try and get a bigger audience i think so i think so um i mean what i i mean this is going to sound completely random now that i'm going to say this but um you know I've, i i do say this from time to time so apologies for those who do who've listened to this before but um i did a little bit of stand-up comedy a long time ago uh and i did that via a charity uh and it's called you know so the the uh it's so that i did a course on on stand-up which ended up you had to do a a, a gig a stand-up comedy gig to 150 people um and it was called the, the comedy school which is in camden in london and you know and, and the money that you pay for the course goes to their they do this charity it's like a anti-knife crime charity um and you know they go into the um uh, prisons and things like that and and help people that you know uh, to try to get their lives back on track and like anyway it's really good but the reason why i'm sort of talking about it is because um yeah if you if anyone out there is is uh finding it difficult with with presentation skills they need more presentation skills i would recommend if you feel brave uh, to do something like that because that is essentially presentation um, but learning it in a different context and actually if you can do that you can definitely do presentations in a boardroom because um, because trying to make a whole load of a room full of strangers laugh is actually quite hard <laughs> um, but anyway back to this so you know so I think professional training companies should do well um, there's going to be loads of demand for this um, and uh, you know and and I think 
Um, I think you said earlier as well about how this is, I mean, this isn't going to be permanent. It's just going to, you know, there's probably a bit of a dip um, for maybe, uh, you know, the current cohort or just a sort of pre, you know, just a very recent cohort. Um, And then it should be back on track. But, um, but yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously have to see how that works out, but it's a, you know, it's an interesting thing that at least um, it has been officially recognised. Yeah, I think, well, if it if it stops being an issue in the future, there might be other things that they could adapt to um, mm. to bring into their training because things that people have got really good at in the pandemic, things like working on their own, working independently mm-hmm. and working online might fall off a bit when mm. people are back in person. So then maybe yeah. those kind of companies could pivot to um, doing coaching on independent working or Absolutely. wherever there's a gap in the market at that time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So anyway, I think I'm going to go on to uh, the next topic, um, which is the it's all about um, the battle for the screen on your dashboard. Uh, I know that sounds a bit random, but um, there was, um, I have to say, and I don't know this person and I, and I'm not, I'm not paid by anyone to say this, but I think this is a really interesting article. It's from the Daily Telegraph, written by a guy called James Titcomb. And it is really interesting. He's, he does all their, well, he does a lot of their, um, you know, technology related stuff. And he's, I think he's a very interesting writer. Anyway, what he's, he's talking, he's referring to in this, uh, in this particular article um, is that, you know, at the moment, uh, when you're looking at sort of your infotainment hub, most cars have either, or newer cars anyway, either have, uh, you can either get Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. And uh, interestingly, there there was a, there was a stat uh, on here saying, so apparently last year, Apple reckoned that uh, 98% of cars sold in the US can um, have CarPlay and that 79% of buyers would only consider a car if it supported Apple CarPlay. Now, that sort of sounds extreme, but I have to say myself that, you know, uh, before the current car that I've got, which is, to be to be honest, it's now about six years old now, so it's kind of getting on a bit, but Prior to that, I really did have an old banger, um, and that thing just didn't have any kind of connectivity. Um, and the um, and I I remember sort of driving that car, thinking, "Oh, wouldn't it be great just to you know be able to connect it all up and get the nav on there and the music and all that stuff." And so when we got this, uh, the current car that we got, you know, set so we got it second hand. Um, and it had Apple CarPlay. It was just, I mean, it was just fantastic. I know, I'm sure a lot of people out there are going to think, well, what is this guy on? Because, you know, where, where has he been living? But um, I just really enjoy it. It's so in- easy to do, easy to use. Interface is good. Nav is much better than in-car navigations because generally speaking, in-car navigation systems and em- infotainment systems are not, are generally a bit clunky. They're not as good um, as, as say, what I'm used to on Apple. Um, and so uh, what is going on now is that more people are, are using them. But then there's, there's a bit of pushback because the, a lot of the car makers are feeling that they are going to 
lose out here because um, uh, they feel that that Apple is essentially taking over. So in a way, they're responsible for the outside of the car and Apple will increasingly be responsible for the inside of the car um, with regard to the infotainment system and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's only a few that have resisted. So Tesla is one and the other is uh, General Motors with its new newer cars or new you know cars that are about to be dip, uh, uh, released, um, and it just seems a bit I don't know it just it just seems that they they're kind of a bit late um, at the moment and and you know but, but there but there's there's also so Apple apparently is going to be launching a uh, an update which will mean that not only will you be able to listen to your own music, do the nav on there, but you may well be able to turn up your air conditioning or turn down your air conditioning or something. So I think this is really quite amazing. You know, this is really quite amazing. And I think that car makers are really, they are right to be afraid because actually, you know, I think a lot of people do like the convenience and the usability. So um, so I think so at the moment, it's great for uh, uh, Google, which owns Android um, and also for Apple. But one thing does make me wonder, because they are so powerful, surely they this should be subject to some kind of um, antitrust something, um, you know, some sort of action, because it doesn't seem right. that They should be so powerful. And it just made me wonder. I mean, when I was talking to Christabel earlier, uh, she inspired me to new ideas, right? So, and I wondered whether this could this mean the return of TomTom uh, into the fold? Because um, <laughs> some of some people out there will be thinking, "Who is? What are you talking about?" Uh, so, again, just as a, a quick sort of um, uh, you know sort of uh, recap. Back in back in back in the days of yore, everyone was using A to Z maps, right? You know, so actual like a big book of a map, you know, and using those. Um, then after that, you you know, a few a few years, uh, you know, if you, oh, I don't know, it was probably beginning two thousands or I don't know mid 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 noughties or something. Anyway, that's when um, you started seeing uh, the TomTom. Um, it was doing really well because. Um, you know, they had these in-car systems. They knew that in-car in -car systems at that point were really not very good. Tom-Toms were way better. They got so popular that I remember the sticker, the sucker they used to use to stick them on the windscreen. Um, car thieves used to look at those and see if there was, a you know, a mark um, on there. And they'd break into the car and then just reach into the um, into the glove box because that's basically where everyone used to put these things. You know, reach in the glove box and take your TomTom. -tom. These things are about 400 quid ago, something like that. But then, you know, so TomTom -tom was doing really, really well because, of course, to do something like this, they're very high barriers to entry because you need to map everything out. Um, but then, of course, Google comes along um, and takes it all. And, um, and then TomTom -tom is kind of in the wilderness so given given the fact that there aren't many alternatives out there tom tom i would have thought has still has uh it's uh, kind of intellectual property and uh, maybe um if there was a, a 
you know competition um, regulator coming in and having a look at the the whole industry maybe this could be this could be you know they they could they could open the door to tom tom to come back again um and you'd have car makers going to them instead so it'd be quite interesting but i mean do you, do you have any thoughts on that yeah um i think i mean you said that 79 percent of buyers would only buy a car with this um uh kind of feature hmm. so i think that with gm and tesla refusing to allow apple hmm. i think i think tesla might get away with it because hmm. they're they're sort of new and kind of futuristic yeah that's the vibe they're going for so i think that people might still buy into tesla but i don't think that gm i think that a lot of people would not buy gm cars hmm. if they don't have that feature if they're trying to develop yeah. their own because i just don't see that it's going to be as as usable as something that people are already familiar with like using mm. the apple one um mm. i think presumably apple is gonna have features that you can customize so that whatever you like to do like if you if you listen to the radio you'd want to have a big radio icon that you can get to easily but if you mm. never listen to the radio you can just get rid of that functionality altogether yeah. and have your music or whatever it is that you would mm. want to use um mm. and i i just think apple's ability to make software that looks good and works well is going to outclass anything that general motors are going to be able to come up with themselves yeah i mean i have to say it's a it's a bold move um I mean, I think they released, haven't they, recently the electric Hummer, which is an absolute beast of a vehicle. And I think if I, I mean, I don't know if it does. I'm presuming it doesn't have, uh, you know, our car play in there. I mean, if you're spending that amount of money on something like that and it doesn't have, you know, Apple CarPlay or whatever, you, you'd be pretty annoyed. I mean, I, I, so you, I do think it is something that people increasingly see and what what was also really interesting about this article is it, it, that it's um described um uh, because it's turning into mobile phones on wheels um because of the way that people will start looking at it and you know the importance of this connectivity but uh, but anyway yeah so um for the moment obviously apple google doing very well out of it um i think that those um uh, car companies that are not signed up they're going to lose out um and it, you know and the other thing is if the competition regulators did come along and they decided to have a quick look at the uh at the, at the <laughs> quick look um there's nothing no such as things a quick look by regulators but you know an investigation into this kind of thing Maybe this would could revive one of the best known sat nav names, um, and give it give it a second life. So um, so so you heard it here first on uh, on Watson's Daily. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, are there are any other things you'd like to add at all? Um, no, I think I think that's covered everything. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, look, um, thank you very much, uh, Christabel, for your uh, for your thoughts today. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Um, there's loads of uh, other stories on Watson's Daily today. Um, but I do, I have to say, there is a very interesting story breaking at the moment. Uh, it's been breaking sort of over the last hour or two, um, which is the latest uh, reports from Hindenburg Research, which makes it look like they are almost accusing 
um, uh, Carl Ikan, who is a legendary investor, of pretty much running a Ponzi-like scheme. Um, and if that is true, that is an absolute massive scandal. So, um, so anyway, I'll you know I'll obviously be following this story and probably um, you know putting something about it in tomorrow's Watson's Daily. But yeah, just in, in case you are looking at uh, stuff at the moment, that could be a big story. But anyway, thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, you know for spending the time with us, and uh, we will be back again tomorrow. So many thanks. Bye. <laughs>